Today's episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Witch Baby Soap. Do you like to dwell in the shadows but stay squeaky clean? Then Witch Baby Soap is the soap for you. They make fabulous occult-themed body products like coffin-shaped bath balms, tarot card soap, and crystal-embedded body butters. Their recipes are made with magical intentions, and they're free of all of those nasty things like sulfates and parabens. And now you can get 15% off orders using offer code WITCHWAVE. That's WITCHWAVE, one word, on witchbabysoap.com. So get ready to wind down, lather up, and get some Witch Baby Soap products using offer code WITCHWAVE now. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Sabbat Magazine, a gorgeous and award-winning magazine that celebrates modern witchcraft and feminism. Now, I've written for Sabbat a whole bunch of times over the years, and I love them dearly. So I'm especially excited to announce their newest project, Le Tarot de l'Etoile Cachée, which translates to The Tarot of the Hidden Star. This is a new tarot deck of 22 major arcana cards hand-drawn by the enormously talented artist Elisa Seitzinger with an in-depth guide written by yours truly, and it was my honor. The Tarot of the Hidden Star is ornate, contemporary, bold, and so beautiful, and it's available for pre-order now from sabbatmagazine.com. So head on over to Sabbat Magazine, that's S-A-B-A-T magazine.com, and order your Tarot of the Hidden Star today. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. And welcome to the Witch Wave. I am feeling really excited about today's episode, not just because it features one of my favorite living artists, Rebecca Artemisa, but also because she and I get into some really important conversation around race, spirituality, and cultural appropriation. And I know that's top of mind for a lot of listeners right now. This is a topic that I've been thinking about a lot lately as a 21st century witch who lives in a white female body. One of the reasons I was drawn to witchcraft in the first place is because it is a modern and ever-evolving path. Like a lot of you, I turned to it because the religious tradition that I was raised with, in my case, Judaism, 
was somehow insufficient for me. Now, I never rejected it outright, and being Jewish and coming from a Jewish lineage and heritage are still aspects of my identity that I value and honor in certain specific ways. But at a young age, I felt called to expand my spiritual search beyond just the religion that I happened to be assigned at birth. I gravitated towards practices that more emphatically honored the divine feminine and feminism, and which expressed those principles through stories about and relationships with goddesses. When I was a kid, my family went to a pretty progressive synagogue. I still remember when I was in grade school and the board members of the temple made the decision to switch our prayer books to ones that used gender-neutral pronouns for God. So instead of continuing to use the words he, him, or his for the highest spiritual being that's supposed to exist, overnight, it turned to just the word God. The authors also added the names of Jewish foremothers to Hebrew prayers. So instead of only mentioning Abraham and Jacob and Isaac like they used to, these new prayer books added the names Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel. And it made a huge and lasting impression on me. It taught me, one, that women and the feminine were worthy of being honored in the same breath as men and the masculine. And two, that spirituality is fluid, changeable, and that we can choose how we shape it and adapt it to our time and our needs. Now, I also later learned that there were distinctly feminine aspects of God in the Jewish tradition, Sophia and Shekinah, and despite being frustrated about how little I was taught that in religious school, it did end up bringing me a great deal of comfort and inspiration down the road. Still, Throughout my life, I've felt called to explore and to learn about deities outside of the Judeo-Christian paradigm, which so much of my American upbringing deemed as dominant and quote-unquote correct. As I got older and fell in love with the writings of people like Joseph Campbell, Carl Jung, and later Dianic Wiccans and pagans like Starhawk, the message of worshipping whomever and however I wanted was affirmed for me, especially if it helped me to honor the feminine aspects of spirit, which I was so deeply hungry for. These writers taught me that no matter our background, gender, sexuality, or skin, Humans all ultimately want the same things, and tell similar stories, and go through the same rites of passage, and that love is the ultimate force for good. And so it felt natural for me to syncretize and blend together a pantheon of gods and goddesses from all different faiths. 
For me, it started with the Greeks and Romans, but steadily expanded to include deities, especially female ones, from all different parts of the world, from Egypt to Japan to Mexico to Nigeria to Brazil and onward. These tales and these traditions have helped me honor and heal some of my most lost and broken places and have brought me strength, support, blessings, and remarkable teachings. My relationship with them is deeply personal and specific and something I've committed to honoring through a lifetime of study. There's nothing wrong with this, I've told myself, because I'm approaching these cultures with respect and sincerity and research and a willingness to learn. Looking for universal truths despite our cultural borders is ultimately a good thing after all, isn't it? I find myself asking that question a lot more often these days as conversations about race, appropriation, and lived experience have become more amplified online and in person with friends and colleagues. And I've come to learn that different people have different perspectives about this than perhaps I've had. I've come to realize over the years that despite my own family's experiences of anti-Semitism, that because I still have a white American body, I have more privilege and was given more opportunities than I was aware of. And that there is a very specific history of trauma, persecution, enslavement, and abuse that white people, especially white Americans, just do not have experience with. That doesn't mean that white folks haven't also experienced deep pain and deep suffering. Of course it doesn't. But the fact remains that being in a white body offers me an amount of safety and ease that Americans living in a non-white body don't always feel they have. Because of this, some people of color have expressed that seeing white people incorporate deities from African diasporic traditions, for example, can be painful for them at times. After all, when their black and brown ancestors were colonized, enslaved, and tortured by white people, they lost everything. Their homes, their belongings, their very dignity as human beings. Their spiritual traditions and stories were often literally all they had. And often the continued worship of their gods and goddesses needed to be done in secret or in disguise, lest they get punished or even killed for it. For my friends of color now, Reclaiming these traditions of their ancestors has been an act of homecoming, of helping to heal their own trauma, and of honoring their own blackness or brownness as royal and divine. And so sometimes seeing white people connecting to these same spirits and stories, given that context, can feel like a trespass. 
So no matter how much I, a well-meaning Caucasian lady witch, love what the goddess Yemaya represents, for example, or how much I feel connected to her or called to her, or even how much compassion I have for the persecuted and disenfranchised, there is still a cultural and historical context to that deity that is emotionally charged and that is much, much bigger than me. Now, does that mean that I need to remove Yemaya from my altar? Some might think so. Some might think not at all. I've had a lot of different conversations around this, like the one you're about to hear on this episode, and I've heard a lot of different opinions on it from a lot of different people. And I'll be continuing these conversations here on the podcast and in my personal life. But despite the different opinions, it does definitely mean that I need to be aware and thoughtful and sensitive to the fact that seeing a Cuban or Nigerian or Brazilian deity in my home might bring up painful feelings in some of my friends of color. That's something I need to be able to look at, talk about, and take in, even if it makes me feel vulnerable or defensive or uncomfortable at times. Speaking openly about these topics is the only way forward towards unity and inclusivity and equality. And I'm committed to listening and learning, and I hope you all are too. Now, before we get to my chat with Rebecca Artemisa, as usual, we're going to check and see what's come through on The Witchwire. Who is it? Witches! Sarah writes, Thank you so much for your recent episode. I'm a newly practicing witch based in a small town in New England, and I'm finding it difficult to make connections with long-term practitioners. I am seeking those with knowledge to pass down and techniques and philosophies to share. I am part of a small and intimate coven, but we all crave the guidance of an elder. Hearing your conversation with Ms. Illes was rejuvenating. To know that there are women and men who have been practicing the art of witchcraft openly for a good portion of their lives gives us the strength to do the same. If you have any advice to offer on connecting to long-term practitioners in person, I would be grateful for that insight. Hi, Sarah. I'm so delighted that you found the conversation with Judica Illes to be inspiring to you and your coven, and I'm sure she'll feel the same way. But you're asking a really great question, which is, how the heck do you find a teacher? It's true that books and the internet are all here for you, and podcasts too, but I completely understand your desire to learn from someone in person. I understand it because I felt very much the same way a number of years ago. I was a solitary practitioner for most of my life, and that suited me just fine, until one day in my mid-twenties, it just didn't anymore. I suddenly felt called to find a guide or a teacher 
and some sort of community, and like you, I wasn't sure where to look. And I live in New York City, so I was sure they existed near me, but how do you find these folks, and how do you approach them, and how do you know that they're the right ones for you? Well, in my case, I did what I usually do in these situations, which is I did a spell, a really heartfelt, meaningful ritual, asking spirit to lead me to a teacher and to help me find someone or several someones from whom I could learn and who would help me go deeper with my practice. Now for me, literally the very next day, I found myself wandering in Soho and it led me to this place that used to exist in the neighborhood, it's since moved uptown, called the Open Center, which is a school for alternative spirituality. And I stumbled into their bookshop and I asked if they had any witchcraft books and the gentleman who was working there at the time said, well... We don't technically use the word witch here, but there is a woman named Robin who's written quite a few books, and she teaches classes in herbalism, but believe me, she's really a witch. And let me tell you something else. I didn't really have that much interest in herbalism at the time, but there was something that told me that I was meant to listen to this message. So I signed up for her Herbalism 101 class, and a few weeks later, I entered the room and I heard four words out of her mouth and just knew, yes, I am home, and this is the person that I meant to learn from. And what that looked like for me was first taking these classes, which were offered to the public. I took a lot of these herbalism classes, but eventually I learned that Robin taught some private apprenticeships and she had her own coven of women that she would take under her wing and train. And so I eventually joined that coven and the rest is history. It really taught me so much about not only new forms of magic and how to incorporate nature more deeply into my practice as a witch, but also it taught me how to interact with a teacher and how to be part of a coven and a community. And it was so invaluable to me. So all of this said, I would recommend, first of all, do a spell. It sounds like you are feeling very ready to find a teacher. And when people are ready, teachers do tend to show up. Secondly, I would say keep an open mind. The teacher might not look like the textbook picture of a wise old crone that you might be picturing. Maybe he or she will, who knows, um, but be open to some form that your teacher may show up in that could surprise you and take you down a path that you weren't even entirely expecting. And also, a lot of these people nowadays do teach classes in public, and you can certainly sign up for a workshop or go to a conference or book a session with them and then ask them, hey, do you ever take on private students? So that's another way. I wish you great, great luck. And I'm certain that a wonderful wise teacher is just around the corner for you. Now on to my guest, 
Rebecca Artemisa is an artist and zine maker who calls herself a bruja who paints spells. Her wood panel works are filled with extravagantly detailed and darling tableaus that incorporate myths and magic from her own Chicanex and indigenous heritage. And each piece is customized with special symbols and ingredients meant to bless the recipient. Rebecca also creates illustrated books filled with ghosts, curanderas, and healing rituals. And she makes painted jewelry and fortune-telling devices and so much more. In our conversation, we discuss the spellcraft that goes into her paintings and the ways in which her multiple identities inform her work. We also talk about the difference between appreciation and appropriation of other cultures. And although we don't come to a crystal clear conclusion on that, I am deeply grateful for her honesty, patience, and open heart. Rebecca Skyped into the show from her home in Portland, Oregon. Rebecca Artemisa, welcome to The Witch Wave. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. As I think you know from my numerous Etsy transactions, <laughs> I am just such a huge fan of yours. And so it is a great, great honor to have you here, Rebecca. Well, it's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. Sure thing. So I want to get started by talking about all of the different mediums that you work in. Um, you make zines and comics, you do paintings, you do hand-painted jewelry, you do fortune-telling devices, do. which we're <laughs> definitely going to talk about in a moment. Um, so as an intro to your work, what do you see the through line is between all of these different mediums that you work in? Um... I would say that it's definitely like, I guess like Bruja culture is like the running theme in all of them. Like there's definitely like a spell kind of like in all of them. Like I always want to put something uplifting and it feels good in all of them and helpful. So it's me basically trying to like help the world one painting at a time, but also pay my bills. <laughs> <laughs> Noble indeed all around. Um, and I love that. I think that's a great place to start is the yeah. word bruja. That is a word that I've noticed that you incorporate into a lot of your different pieces that you make. You also sometimes identify as a bruja. So for listeners, yeah. what does that word mean exactly? And what do you mean when you use it about yourself? So I feel like the term bruja is, it started off like when, you know, the Spaniards came to Mexico and started to colonize and, you know, essentially the genocide of so many indigenous people. Um, it was used to, to kind of to curb and to stop healers, indigenous healers from doing their work. And they would, you know, use the word brujo, bruja, like a, a witch, like something that's bad. And I think for me, it's now become something and become something so many other people are uh, especially of that heritage and that background and from those ver many various Latinx diasporas, like 
that we're reclaiming because it's like this is beautiful this is a part of who we are like this is how we connect to ourselves and to our roots especially for those of us who are not white you know our ancestors have you know the the roots are strong and deep and they're totally there and we're tapping in and yeah I think that's what that's where it's coming from and that's like how I where I take it when I call myself that I love that and it is also a word that like the word witch seems to be reclaimed like definitely yeah like the word witch is so often still a negative epithet that sometimes people use and yet of course there's a whole movement um to to reclaiming that and using it as a word of pride and it sounds like that's what you're doing with the word bruja as well yeah, because I think, you know, the word witch, bruja, at the end of the day, they have the same kind of thing. It's like it's a, it was a silencing tactic for so long. It was labeled to make someone stop being who they were or to stop being or to shrink themselves. And um, we don't have to do that. And it's nice to like be like and to, uh, yeah, that reclamation of it is like we don't have to do that anymore, you guys. It's beautiful out here. So, yeah. So which came first for you, your artwork or your magical practices, or did they kind of grow up at the same time? Um, they happened. They kind of happened similar. Like, I think the one informed the other. So I would say that probably like my formative years is what informed the artwork. And it was observing uh, my grandparents do uh I guess essentially like employ like what people would call like curandero or curandera or bruja, like brujo, bruja practices where, um, you know, you make like big pots of mint tea and like you put lots of herbs fresh from your garden that you've picked that are just like warmed in the sun. You apply certain tinctures or different oils to like an injury and they had candles and shrines everywhere. And this is my maternal grandparents in Los Angeles. And they had shrines and candles everywhere in their home and altars for family members who were sick or ailing or who just needed like some extra love. And seeing that was kind of like, oh, this is beautiful. But like, I don't know if I have access to being able to creating these kinds of epic shrines because I'm like a kid. And then as I got older, probably like, you know, in my kind of preteen, early teen years, I started realizing I really like drawing and painting. And I began kind of painting um, shrines, essentially, like things that like, like my wife calls them the Triforce, because it's like I usually paint in like, I unintentionally paint in like triangles or groups of three. And I would use like different elements to paint. Like I would use soot from Palo Santo to like put in like the girl's hair to make it extra pitch black. Or I would rub grass from the, that I would pick out from the lawn to like into the leaves that I had been painting to make them more green and feel more alive to me and it kind of as I got older I was like that's spell work essentially like I'm creating little tiny shrines in them so I am kind of like yeah so it came from that it came from watching my grandparents and from being immersed in that in that beautiful culture and it turned into art I guess that's so gorgeous and I can attest to the magic and the majesty of your work I'm lucky enough to have thank you you're welcome. Um, I own one of your paintings called La Limpia or Una yes. Limpia, excuse me. And <laughs> and this is my understanding is it's a painting that is based on a cleansing ritual or a healing ritual that's popular in Mexican and, and South American culture. Is that right? That That is right. Um, so like your local curandera in your neighborhood will usually uh, – Depending, and it depends on the curandera, like everyone has their own practices and things that they like to do and ceremony that they do about it. But essentially, 
you take an egg and after anointing yourselves with oils or being hit with branches with holy water and oils and um, you take an egg and you roll it all over your body and the, or the curandera rolls it all over your body for you and they crack and when they're done rubbing it everywhere and you know praying over you and while you pray with them they crack it into a bowl and sometimes the yolk is black because it's absorbed all of the terrible or bad energy that you've been carrying around with you. Maybe someone put a hex on you, or maybe you were just really sad, or maybe you're in a mourning process, or maybe you had like a fight with a friend and it kind of helps release that energy and pull it out of you so that you have clarity. And the painting, I wanted to paint like a badass, like fun, like funny girl. Like she has like her boob hanging out. She has like side boob and she's like wild and she's like, and she has this egg and she's like, I'm doing this limpy on myself. Like I'm cleansing myself. Like I'm, I'm in charge of me. I can do this. Like, so I feel like it's a very like, yeah, like self-empowering, like painting of just being like, I got this. I'm, I'm on the right track. I'm clean. Oh. I'm clear and bright. And I got this. So yes. And I love it so much. And it came at a point in my life where I really, really needed it. And oh, I'm every so time, glad to hear oh, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Every time I look at it, I feel better. It really is so magical. And in addition to what it is a painting of, it's so clear that you incorporate a lot of magic in the way you craft the painting as well. I mean, um, yes, there's a painting on the front and it's beautiful and teeming with like cats and candles and flowers and all kinds of amazing images, but you also paint images and symbols on the sides of the wood panels, uh, which I love. So, so what, what is your intention with that when you're creating these pieces? So I feel like the main, I feel like the main spell, cause I also kind of tongue in cheek, but also kind of, it's like, kind of like kidding, not kidding. Like I call myself like or a, a bruja who paints spells. Cause it's like the initial <laughs> spell is like, right. <laughs> the initial spell is like right there in front, like in your face. It's like, Oh, like duh, it's right there. It's a painting. But, um, the sides are kind of the thing that seal it in. When I paint the sides, it's like, that's me sealing in the energy of that image so that it's like just there. And it's always just going to be that energy coming from that like exclusively and that's like my goal when I do that and also that I paint you know the flowers like because I I usually either paint candles or flowers because I see them as like protective because also when I I just know when I personally feel extra tender or maybe unsafe or I'm feeling hurt or whatever I surround myself with I like candles I surround myself with flowers and if I don't have flowers I paint them or I draw them and I prop them up next to my bed and it immediately makes me feel better calmer and also kind of feels like it seals in at least for me like it seals in like a feeling of safety but also a feeling of like wholeness and centeredness and I'm like hoping that that comes out in the painting because like that's my intention of painting those borders around them because it's like the spell is sealed that is like what they are now A hundred percent. I mean, it's absolutely how I feel having it in my home. It is so special. That makes me so happy. Really, really. I'm so happy you have that one too. Like she's such, she's like one of my favorite. I remember painting that one specifically because I loved her so much. I was was like, I want to be her. Like she is goals. (laughs) Yes. I want to be her too. That's what I'm striving for. So thank you. May we all be her. Um, And that's something I love also about your work is it almost always has female protagonists. And 
you know, you incorporate goddesses. There's a lot of really florid, floral images, lots of colors, lots of intricate detail. There are ghosts and bugs and stars and mountains. And I mean, your images are just teeming with such fecundity and life and um and real joy real vibrant vital energy it's total joy it's everything I love basically like I'll just throw it into like one thing or I'll try to pack as much in as I can ah it's magic it's pure magic and something else I noticed is that you do incorporate quite a lot of Aztec mythology into some of your works and I'd love to hear a little bit about how you found your way to that more folkloric or mythological content um I think it's like a thing that a lot of people come to especially like uh, non-white Latinx or Chicanx people. Like, I think for me, especially because like I can trace, I can trace my indigenous heritage. Like I have family members who are, you know, native American and also who are indigenous to Mexico. And it's like, and you know, but, but when you're like here in America, like they call you like a pocha, which means basically like you're Americanized or like you've lost something kind of, it's, it's kind of like a joke, but it's like, but you definitely kind of feel that. And I think for me, this is like, I need to reconnect because, and I feel like a lot of us go through this and it's like, I want to reconnect in a way that's not appropriate or disrespectful to people. Cause I'm, I'm an indigenous heritage, but I don't worship these gods. Like some people still really, really do like, and really have a full understanding and a full grasp of like the enormity of them. And I, I'm still like in like the baby stages. Cause I'm still trying to like, re- like get back to that. And, um, so I think that that was like my process of coming to it where it's like, okay, how can I stay in my lane, but also like connect with myself and how is, can I healthily start like this decolonization process and this untangling of feelings and, you know, internalized, like, I don't want to say shame, but like, it's almost like, you know, you won't talk about it. We, you're not supposed to talk about it kind of, especially, um, because like a lot of us get raised in, you know, Christian churches, Catholic churches, cause that's what happens in colonization and, yeah, for me, it was like, this is beautiful. I connect to this so much more. I connect to this like epic, like these epic, terrifying stories and these incredible beasts that are just like completely not remotely human looking. And yeah, I think that, that that's where that came from. It was like, it was a need to connect, but also like, it was it was my first step into like really starting to like try to really connect with that part of myself. That's gorgeous. Do you remember a certain deity or a certain story that spoke to you at first or still speaks to you now? Um, I really love the story of uh, Kotliquit. And she is a goddess of she's she's like the goddess of everything. And she's a two headed snake. And she has a belt full of snakes and a necklace full of like hearts of her enemies. And she is just I just. Yeah, like I just love her. Like, and it's also interestingly that's where the legend of La Llorona stems from her as well, which is like this like super amazing, just my favorite like Mexican urban legend. All right, since you brought it up, um, (laughs) you also create lots of comics and lots of zines, and your newest comic is all about La Llorona. Yes, Um, it's called Weeping Woman. (laughs) Yes. And it's called Weepy, W-E-E-P-Y. Can you talk a little bit about who she is and why you love her so much? Oh, I have so much to say. She's my problematic fave. (laughs) (laughs) We all have problematic faves. 
I love her and the story stems from this incredible Aztec goddess. And then it slowly kind of dissolved around colonization time when the Spaniards came to the story of Malinche, which is kind of like a Mexican folklore story. And Malinche is basically, she's an indigenous woman who gives up her people to Cortez. And she's kind of like the Eve of colonization, essentially. Mm. And no one quite knows if she's real or not real. And also, too, it was, I felt, I feel in a lot of other um, brujas feministas feel that she's kind of a scapegoat. And it's like, this indigenous woman could not have stopped colonization, but she was seen as like this betrayer of her people and this betrayer of women. And I was like, that is so interesting because I saw her as like this like vulnerable person who, you know, was taken advantage of by a man. And then it kind of got watered down some more into the story of La Llorona, who is this woman who she's an, she's an indigenous woman or she's uh, what some people might call mestizo or mestiza because she's mixed with Spanish and indigenous blood. And she has, you know, she has this crush on this man and he's so handsome and he's like a white Spaniard and she marries him and then he begins mistreating her. And at one point he mistreats her so badly and eventually threatens to leave her for another woman. And with her grief, she goes, she takes, she has children by him. She takes the children that she's had with this man and in her grief drowns them in a river which is just you know obviously just horrifying (laughs) and it's like it's like this kind of like systemic blaming of woman and like as the legend goes like her children die she kills herself in grief and her ghost her children ascend to heaven and her ghost is stuck here on earth and she's denied access to both heaven and hell because she's too good for hell and she's not good enough for heaven and i'm like that is like also i feel like so many women at least i do like tap into that like i'm like i relate to that where it's like you're just that you're where you're like a fallible person in the middle. I mean, obviously, like, you know, you you don't go out and murder people, but like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't practice but, infanticide, but, but yeah, no, but, but it, you can relate to, I guess, the aspect of being like, this is someone who's been pushed to the brink and is an incredible amount of pain and is also like navigating uh, colonization essentially because, you know, she's a brown woman and this white man is mistreating her. And there's like a lot of levels to that and how that, and I think that that's so interesting that it stems from uh, Kotlikwa, who is such a powerful, dangerous woman who, like, or a powerful, dangerous goddess, not even a woman, like, but a goddess, a god. And that, like, that's where the story stems from. And it's like, it's kind of like a tracing back of power where it's like, why do we create these terrible stories? I mean, this, these things happen, but it's like, why do we create these terrible stories about women? Um, what do they really mean? What are we really trying to say? And like, what is society trying to say about us? Like, what are we having to prove or not prove? And yeah, like, and I, I just became obsessed with it. It just completely consumed me. And so I was like, I have to write about this, especially because it was my favorite ghost story growing up because my parents told it to me in the most terrifying way. And <gasps> what would they um, say? Oh, I mean, and here's the thing. La Llorona is like this terror. It's like kind of like a cautionary tale. Like, don't be a bad girl and run off with some man when you're, cause also too, her mom's like, don't marry that man. He's bad. He's going to mistreat you. And she's like, I'm going to marry him anyway. And then, you know, he mistreats her. And then, so it's, it's weird. Cause it turned into a cautionary tale. And it's interesting because Malin, she turned into a cautionary tale about betraying your people, like about be- betraying indigenous people. If you're an indigenous person, which I am like, a, that is my heritage. And then it turned into a, a cautionary tale being like, listen to your parents. And then it turned into a story that my parents would tell me in a story that so many people's uh, Mexican parents would tell them to not stay out too late because La Llorona walks around at night and she looks for kids because she's looking for her children. And if she sees you 
she's so distraught with grief. She's going to, she's not going to know. She doesn't know that you're not her child. She's just going to grab you and take you to like wherever, you know, back to the river where she belongs. And it's like, so you better come when I call you, you better come inside because (laughs) Lyrona is going to come and get you. Oh my goodness. You must've been terrified. Like, and at first it was scary, but like, I was always the kind of kid who loved ghost stories. So I was like (laughs) delighted. (laughs) I was like, I want to catch her. I want to see had like the opposite effect. I was like, I'm going to wait for her. Like, I want to see her. That's awesome. Yeah. Like I wanted to talk to her. I was like, maybe I could talk her out of it. Maybe we could like have a conversation. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe we could go and get tea and like, you know, just talk (laughs) about life and, and pet cats together. Basically. I was like, maybe she just needs a friend. (laughs) Aw. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Today's episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Blood Milk Jewels. I have loved Blood Milk for years because each piece of their jewelry has a story that adds to its aesthetics and talismanic qualities. Their designs are inspired by seances and surrealism and shadowy goddesses and so many more of my favorite things. They use materials like sterling silver and natural crystals and gemstones such as moonstone, labradorite, and onyx. And so each piece is crafted to be psychic armor. I also love that they've been handmade in Philadelphia using local resources since 2008 and that it's a female-owned and operated company. So check out bloodmilkjewels.com and adorn yourself with dark, sparkling beauty. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. I'm here speaking with Rebecca Artemisa. So <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so we were just talking about La Llorona, the weeping woman, and how much you love her and how much you love ghosts and other tales of darkness. You certainly have a lot of ghosts that show up in your images. And I know from Google stalking you that you love to watch <laughs> ghost hunting television shows and things My like favorite, that. My favorite, yeah. So great. Um, and one of your zines is called A Ghost Guide. And yes. I love this zine. Do you would you prefer the word zine or comic? I always I always oh, think of them as comics. Zines. Okay. Oh really? That's well, so, you know that's so nice. <laughs> you... no, it's so funny because my wife always calls them comics. My wife's always like, they're your comics, they're your comics. And I'm like, they're zines, but then I'm like, maybe they are comics. It's almost like I get sh- I get too shy to call them comics because like I don't even know why. I was like, do can I take up that label? Like, do, do I know what I'm doing? And I'm like, Okay, maybe they are comics. So. Oh my goodness. Well, call them whatever you like. They're they're small books with illustrations and words. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the ghost guide because you have some ghosts in here that feel like they're coming from folklore and mythology. You have, uh, and they're kind of like, uh, you have a drawing of them and then you title them and then you kind of give us the lowdown. You tell us, yeah. how, you know, what, what their characteristics are and how to attract them or how to protect yourself from them in, in certain cases. They're so, so sweet. And a couple of the ghosts that you have in here, you you have La Llorona, the weeping woman, and she's she's shouting, "Give me your kids!" My fave, (laughs) which is so great in the drawing. Um, and you have the night zombie, but you also have the ghost of punk. 
You have the, the tea and soup ghost. And, you know, the, these are just a couple examples of what I love so much about your work. You know, this idea of, and, and this is a phrase that I use way too often, and listeners are probably making a drinking game out of it by now. But it's, <laughs> it's this idea of reverent irreverence or irreverent reverence, you know. The, Which I, I love that still so much. Like, I love that that phrasing. <laughs> oh, thank you. But it, it's what I've always been attracted to, you know, the the take this stuff really seriously and it's holy and it's sacred, but also don't take any of it seriously because it's all play mm. and it's all imagination and mm. and the truth kind of lies, I think, in between those two polarities. Um, Definitely. So I'd love to hear about mm. how you started channeling that kind of vibe or that kind of approach into your work. I honestly don't even know where it came from. Like I've always been inventing like little spirits or little ghosts or like little, like, like strange stories or strange mythology. Like I invent a lot of like mythology, even as a kid, I would invent like whole backstories to things and like ascribe like spirits and gods to things that were like completely inanimate. Like, you know, like a God of like a stuffed animal, like that was like its particular rule. Like I would just do so many strange things like that. So it was just something that I just always kind of naturally did. And I didn't really have a place to put it until I discovered painting and drawing. <laughs> so it just kind of all like came out like an avalanche, like all my weird little thoughts and like the weird way that like I look at the world just came out like in that way. I wish I had a better answer, but it just kind of like just comes out. No, I love that. I, I just I always ask, especially because, you know, you did say you were raised in this more traditional Catholic upbringing. And definitely. So yeah, I always am curious when do people, at what point in our lives do we stop taking all of that to be the only truth and the only rules? Like when do any of us learn that, you know what, we can, you know, take a lot of the beauty and the truths and the lessons from whatever religion or lack of religion we might've been raised with, but we have the yeah. liberty to interpret it ourselves or reinterpret it or come up with our own version of spirituality. So do you remember when that started for you? Um, yeah, actually I would say like it started probably again, like it goes back to my maternal grandparents. I think it started when I was really small because I saw the kind of ceremony that they did about, um, you know, about their home where like they had holy water to bless yourself with when you walked in and out, which is so unusual. You don't really see that in a lot of homes. And they had like candles burning at all hours of the day on like these shrines for, that I was talking about earlier for like my family members that maybe needed extra help. And there was, oh, and I'm like, that was like, they were very Catholic, but it was also like, there's something more to this. Like, um, there's something I really connect with here. And when I was, you know, and again, no offense to anyone who like finds, you know, peace and their joy and their themselves in that. But for me, I was like, something's missing. Like, I don't feel like I connect with this, but I connected so deeply. Like when I would go walk into their home and like, it smelled like sage and herbs and there was something cooking on the stove and there was candles going everywhere and there were shrines and statues. It was like, okay, like this makes sense. And it does stem hugely from, you know, indigenous culture, like, and, you know, that's clearly something they incorporated into their home and so many uh, Chicanx, Latinx, and indigenous people incorporate into their home, like, you know, whether they mean to or not, sometimes it's very intentional, which is like beautiful. And that's kind of, I'm trying to get back to that space or sometimes it's, you know, just something that you just instinctively do because it's so part of who you are and, um, so ancestral, it's like so deeply connected to you. And I think as I got older, I was, and I started getting more into painting and drawing and things started to kind of just pour out of me. I was like, okay, like I need to 
I need to find a way to make this feel, to make it feel more centered. Like I don't just want to paint a picture and it have it be pretty or have it be hip or cool or whatever like, words like he's described. I want it to mean, I really want it to feel like it could help someone or like it could mean something. And so I kind of even started doing ritual with my paintings where I didn't even know it was a ritual. Like even I was doing this when I was like 12, 13 years old. Like I started only sleeping facing North because I felt like I needed to live North. And like, I started to like, you know, burn candles and sage and would like, you know, smudge them into the paintings I was doing. And I would, uh, I collected seashells with my parents and my family and I would use them as paint palettes and, you know, things like that, where I was like, there really, it really became like a ceremonial thing. Like it kind of became, I guess, my religion. And I think that's how I kind of came into being like, oh, I'm a bruja, like, or, oh, like, and again, I don't want to like real, like, you know, take from that term, but you're like too much, but I'm like, oh, but that is part of who I am. That's like something I'm really connecting with. That's me. Yes. And, and when did you then start incorporating like the ghost of punk or let me give another example. You have this book of spells that you've created and, and illustrated called the IDGAF, which stands for, I don't give a fuck book of yeah. spells. <laughs> so great. And you do have a spell in here that some might think is a little more traditional. Um, you have help for a broken heart, but you yes. also have a spell called, magical water to get rad which i love <laughs> so much i think we all need to drink rad it water works. right now <laughs> it totally works so how did you devise that kind of language or that kind of style and incorporate it into your magic practice and your art practice so i think that happened like when i started also hanging out with other more like latinx and chicanx people and like indigenous people like just like me and like who had like the same heritage and the same background. And they were like, Oh, you know what you're doing is like kind of connected to stuff that like we all do. And it's like, we're all kind of doing this. And it was like, Oh, it was like such like a light went on. And that's when I was like, okay, like now, like I feel ready to kind of, yeah, like put my characters on paper. And I think that it kind of came about like kind of in a tongue in cheek way. Cause like the ghost of punk is like funny or like water to get rad. But I think again, too, like, I think especially like the water ticket, right? It's like that does stem from like curandera type practices where it's like, you know, you do different infusions in your water. Like you might put different herbs or a crystal or like certain oils or anoint yourself with certain oils or certain soot from a sage plant before you drink a cup of water. And like you're doing it really intentionally and you're intentionally being like this water is going to heal me. And that's why I think I started to like I was definitely drawing from like curandera practices, but in a way where I was like, I'm trying to stay in my own lane because I, I can't call myself a curandera because, you know, I'm not, I haven't done, I haven't, I, that's not my calling as far as I know yet in my life. But And, and by curandera, you mean healer or service like healer. magician or? Yeah, like a curandera um, is basically like a healer, like someone who you go to in your neighborhood who's like, kind of like, they're like your general practitioner your, um, your marriage counselor, like your local, like person who can heal you with herbs. They can like get rid of bad spirits from your home. Then they're all kind of all in one. They're like really powerful, really incredible people. Like you're really, really, you really do have to be called to do it. I feel just like you have to be called to do any, I think to be any kind of healer, like whether it's a surgeon or a doctor or a curandera, I feel like they're all on the same kind of plane to me. So I don't, I didn't want to like, I guess, take up space too much in that, but I also wanted to be like, I'm drawing from this and it's real and it like can really help people feel better to like put intention into like what they're making or drinking or eating. And I kind of sometimes do it in a joking way, but it's still like, 
this is beautiful and it might make you feel better kind of a way. That's the thing. I mean, your work, as much as sometimes it does have that spirit of, you know, that like trickster, jovial kind of vibe to it or tongue in cheek vibe. It's so clear that there's sincerity and intention behind everything that you do. I mean, if it's okay with you, I might read Magical Water to get rad uh, so people have a sense. And, and, you know, (laughs) you guys will just have to picture some beautiful illustrations that go along with it or better yet, go to Rebecca's Etsy, which we'll shout out later and order one for yourself. Uh, But here's the spell. Magical Water to get rad. Soak quartz in cold water with honeysuckle. Filter the water. Drink the water for good vibes. Know that you are so rad. Like, damn, you're a cutie (laughs) and you smell like flowers. True. (laughs) So good. And like, I'm sure that that would make me feel pretty rad after I did it in exactly the way you've spelled out. I have. Like, I've actually, it's tried and true. I've done it myself. Like, if I'm feeling really down, that's what works. So... So good. Speaking of these kind of comical yet serious artworkings that you create, we have to talk about your fortune-telling origami pieces. And these, you know, did everyone do this when they were a kid? I know we certainly did in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, like, that's actually why I started doing it because I was like, I remember these things when I was a kid and thinking they were so cool. And I would spend hours, like, like just like agonizing over mine and like drawing like the most intricate things ever as a kid on mine. And I was making them for friends and I would make them for like, you know, birthday cards for people's like, you know, I would hand paint them. And then um, I was like, I should maybe make these into zines or something or kind of like, and in like something that someone could actually interact with. Cause I like when that people can interact with like art or like a zine and like actually physically hold it. And also like that they can also pick their own fortune that they can like, that that might be the thing they might need to see that day. And I can't make that decision for them, but they can make that decision for themselves. Exactly. And for those of you who are listening who don't know what we're talking about, um, when I was a kid, we would do this thing where we would fold up a piece of paper and it was kind of in like, uh, it's hard to explain, but kind of a series of like triangles or diamonds. And then- Oh yeah. I think some people call them cootie catchers, I think, which is funny. Oh my <laughs> God. That's so funny. We did not call them cootie <laughs> yeah, catchers. We didn't either. We called them, we just called them fortune tellers, but- <laughs> Yep. And, and then like written on each little like triangular flap, you would sometimes have to like lift the flap, but they're- you know, there would be things like different numbers for, I don't know, how many children you were going to have or different names of boys you had a crush on or, I mean, it could be anything. Um, Also shout out to like playground witchcraft, like in a big way. (laughs) Do you know what? I was thinking about that just the other day about how, uh, did you ever play the game MASH when you were a kid? Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that game. Right? And it's like, so, so for those who don't know what that is, it's basically you would list all these different categories. So it would be like names of four boys or four girls that you had in your class and then names of four different, I don't know, types of cars or types of um, wedding dress colors. I mean, it was ridiculous. Yeah. And then you would either do a spiral or you do dots or something until someone said stop. And then you would count the number of lines or dots and then This is is so much work, (laughs) sounding so much more complicated than it actually was. But basically, you would then go down these lists and cross off um, the different names and words until you got to 
who your husband or wife would be, what your house would be like, what your wedding dress would be like. It was you know. so funny. I, I used to love doing that. I totally think it's like a little kid spell work. It's so funny. <laughs> totally. And then, I mean, the fact that like the Ouija board was put out by Parker Brothers as like a oh, game right? you could play in your house. I'm, I was so scared to play that. I'm still scared to play that. Like, because my grandma would be like, that would just let in things. Like, you need to like shoot. She got me saying like, if I ever saw something out of the corner, I'd be like, nope, that I'm closing that door. Sorry, you were not welcome. I can't handle that like energy. <laughs> so you would let me get this straight. You would go looking for La Llorona, but you're too, too nervous to the, do the Ouija, of the Ouija okay, board. Okay. I know. Hey, we all have our limits, Rebecca. I'm not judging. Um, oh, to be to be fair, I yes. would do the like my I forget the name of this game, but my friends and I we we grew up near um, a cemetery, and so we would always, of course, go hang out in there because that's what kids do. And they had this car, this elaborate card game where like you could communicate with the dead um, via different suits of uh, like Jacks and Queens. And I wish I could remember it because hmm. it was yeah. And that, I would play that. We definitely had like a few like kind of spooky experiences, but like also like very like this is really I mean, again, like as I've gotten older, I'm like, I don't know if I should do that because it feels disrespectful. But it was definitely it's like a kid. It's like it was really fun. And like I, I think also partly what kind of opened a door into kind of going down like the Bruja path into being like this there's a lot of th- connections here, but yeah, that was the one. Oh, that's so great. That's so great. Even I just like, wish I could remember the name. Oh, well, you'll have to Google it and let us know because now I'm really yeah. curious. But I was thinking about even like magic eight balls. I mean, that's like these oh, ridiculous yeah. things. But, you know, they would tell you your fortune or those like, uh, were they called Swedish fish? Those like plastic or the, oh, the yeah. red. Oh, no, the, Swedish the fish is a candy. Fortune telling yeah. fish. And they like move around in your hand. I love those. Me too. All of that. And so there's something about your own fortune telling devices, Rebecca, that I just find so charming. And they really are playful and, and they harken oh, back to that you. innocent time. But they're also really, really cool and beautiful works of art as well. That makes me so happy because that was exactly what I was trying to capture. I was like, I want this to be like something that like I would have wanted to pick up when I was a kid. Like, or even as an adult, like I want this to be something that I would want to play with or like do fortunes with. Right on. And Rebecca, on that note, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back. This episode of The Witch Wave is sponsored by VanessaTarot.com. Vanessa is a Native American 50-something witch from Montana who, after half a century, changed her life by going from a police officer to a tarot reader. Vanessa knew she was a witch at three years old, which may be why the Vanessa Tarot website is like a children's Halloween book come to life, and she really does wear striped tights. Check out Vanessa's green screen video series on Instagram at Vanessa Tarot, where she features all 78 tarot cards and literally puts herself inside each card. Vanessa offers tarot readings by Skype or telephone and has a special place in her heart for grief counseling after the loss of a pet using the tarot as a guide. Follow the magic and go to VanessaTarot.com. That's V-A-N-E-S-S-A Tarot.com. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Rebecca Artemisa. Hi. 
right. So Rebecca, you you said a couple things earlier that I'd love to dive into a little bit deeper. Um, a phrase where you keep talking about wanting to stay in your lane and be respectful of you know different traditions and different belief systems and mythological landscapes and so on. Definitely, because I'm still to- I'm still totally learning. I mean, I know we're all still learning, but I'm still I'm kind of like I'm in the beginning phase. Like I'm just starting to really get a hang of it. So yeah. But I just want to underscore for listeners that you feel this way and you're researching your own history. Um, Definitely. Like this is family history I'm diving into and like also just like our actual like indigenous and cultural history and practices that I'm diving into. So it's not, it's definitely not just like coming out of thin air. It's like I'm rooted to it, but it's definitely like, um, I guess being a pocha as some people might call me or being Americanized, like I'm kind of, I'm a little removed from it. So I'm like reconnecting. And I think that that's part of Um, you know, I guess my decolonization process as well as like, you know, reclaiming that title Bruja and stuff too is also part of that. Totally. And I think that's really important to hear. And I would love to get your opinion or your insight on, you know, you're saying this as um, a person who does identify as Chicana. And yet, There are a lot of people, and I'll own up to this myself, you know, I am a white lady, I am a straight white lady witch, and yet I've been taught to incorporate deities from different cultures, I've been taught to, you know, do different ritual practices that come from different cultures, and, you know, I can sit here and say, Mm. I've researched this, I do it with respect, you know, so on and so forth, and and that cultures want to blend and hybridize and they want to be syncretic. Um, but you could absolutely see why somebody might call some of that work into question. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on appreciation versus appropriation. That is such a good question. I have so many feelings on this. <laughs> um, it's a biggie. It's some, yeah. And it's, gonna, it's something that I'm learning myself because, you know, despite the fact, you know, I'm not white, I'm queer, you know, I'm married to a woman, um, you know, it's like all these, you know, and like, I'm brown, I, you know, it's like, and I have indigenous, you know, I have indigenous heritage that I like can trace back, like, you know, and family members living and, and dead. Um, so it's like, for me, it's like, I'm, I'm a lot more connected to it, but it's also like, I don't have the same experience as someone who might have grown up on a reservation in America, here in America, or someone who maybe grew up, um, you know, speaking the Wattle in Mexico, like a lot of my other ancestors did and family members did. So, it's like, for me, it's kind of like, I don't have that experience. I'm connected to it, but I don't have that experience. And I don't want to claim that I have that exact experience. And I think for me, that's where I'm coming from, where I'm trying to be respectful and also like not claim like that title purely. Like I know like all like about all of the spirituality and all the cousins for me, it's like, I'm, I'm learning. And it's also, yeah, it's a decolonization process for me because it's also coming to grips with what has been taken from us. Like um, what was essentially stolen or, uh, murdered out of us, like essentially uh, out of so many of us for so many generations. And which is why I think like, uh, when I see sometimes people, I, I get why people who are not uh, part of the culture would maybe connect with certain aspects of like, uh, you know, sage burning or like Palo Santo or burning different herbs or doing like, you know, and, and like, you know, worshiping maybe cer- certain deities or certain gods that maybe like we might worship or certain spirits that we might worship or, things of that nature. But I think there's definitely, yeah, there's definitely a line between appreciation and appropriation. And it's kind of hard. I would say like, it's, I say, well, when someone's kind of takes up space in that, and again, too, it's like, I think it's important if you 
are a white person like looking at especially a, a non-white person's culture or uh, spirituality, especially, you know, in regards to like brujeria or uh, curanderismo or witchcraft, I guess, for lack of any better word in, or to generalize it, it would be kind of like, I would say like you have to be very careful and very respectful because um, for us, this is a healing process. Like we've had a lot taken from us. We've lost a lot. It is incredibly painful. Um, and also relearning a lot of these customs or holding on to these costs, customs have come at a great cost to us. Like, um, kind of, you can't even really quite put it into words, like what it's cost us to hold on to these things or to still retain this knowledge and to also to speak up on it. Um, and I think that, yeah, it's like, I think you can love something, but it, I also, I definitely see people when I see people doing things like, um, I think when I see like white women wearing like wheat peels, like, um, which are like, you know, traditional indigenous, you know, it's like an, a beautiful embroidered white cotton dress, with like very specific cotton embroidery. And like, when I see white women wearing like wheat peels and like burning sage in their home and talking about being like, oh yeah, bruja life. It's like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> oh my God. Like I, it, it's almost like, I don't even know where to start where it's like, oh my God. Yeah. And I guess like the line would be, I mean, I agree with you where it's like, I think you can look at something in someone's culture and be like, that's beautiful. And I respect it. And that's real. Like it is real. Like, but also, yeah, but to kind of be like, it depends because it depends on person to person. Cause you know, I'm not a monolith for me. Like, um, I, I keep it very like, as my mom says, she's like, it's a good day to be indigenous. She's like, you know, we keep it like very, like just to kind of us like, and my wife is white. And, um, she sometimes does like, you know, like she's like more familiar now with like, you know, what I like to do and like me reconnecting with this aspect of my culture and part of who I am. But she also is like, there's certain things where I'll be like, I kind of need to be alone with this or like, or, Hey, like, that's actually like a word that I kind of only feel like I can use right now. And she'll be like, and she's like, you know, and to her credit, she will totally back off and be like, you know, I love you and I respect you. And I see you as a person. And like, also, this is not something that I'm a part of and that's okay. And I think that that's, I think if people more approach, uh, spirituality and witchcraft in general from that angle, like I think we'd be in a lot better place. Cause I think it's, it's coming into it being like, we are not entitled to someone else's culture and if someone else or to into someone else's spirituality, unless we are invited in. Mm. And I think, and that's my own kind of take on it. I hope that that makes sense because I'm not saying that like people, like, you know, like white folks can't like draw beauty or inspiration or love from what I'm doing. Cause again, like, you know, I'm putting this out into the world. Like I want people to like, you know, absorb it and like, and to like, obviously to buy it because, you know, Bruja's living in late stage capitalism gotta eat, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely kind of a line where I think, I think the best thing is to just ask lots of questions and to also be, to be aware of your privilege, but also to ask questions to be like, is this okay? Is this not okay? Are you all right with this? I don't want to take up space here because I don't know like everything there is to know about this, but you know more than me. And even if you don't know more than me academically, it's in you. Like that is a part of who you are, no matter what, like that's a part of who we are, no matter what, just like, um, for example, like my wife is, um, who is a white woman and she, um, her people are descended. She descends from people who are Pennsylvania Dutch, who are Swiss Mennonite. And they make these incredible quilts and have this beautiful culture. And like, it's so witch and there's so much like, uh, witch and, the hexes, lore, and it's the hex wheels. Oh my God. It's beautiful. amazing. It's, and I, and there's so much intersectionality there too, of just, of kind of like, um, how Swiss Mennonites were treated, but also, you know, their own native land, but also like, yeah, it's, it's really complicated. We've had like these lots of conversations about it. And basically you kind of come to like, 
we're both respectful of each other's uh, cultures and backgrounds and heritage, but it's also, and we ask a lot of questions back and forth because I don't know everything about, you know, what it is to be Pennsylvania Dutch and Swiss Mennonite and to have that background. And, you know, and really also too, it's like um, the hexes on their barns to keep them safe and like the quilts and like her mom makes these beautiful quilts. And it's like, it's totally, again, I don't, and again, part of me is like, should I say it? Maybe I should, but it's like, it is kind of feels like spell work. There is like some cross pollination with like, I relate to that too, because of how sacred embroidery is to like so many people in my family and people in my culture and yeah. And it's just, and basically, yeah, I would say like, ask a lot of questions and ask people if it's okay. And if someone says, I don't feel comfortable with that, um, or I don't feel comfortable with you like praying to this or worshiping this or speaking on this with authority, then you might need, that also might be, um, your lesson or that God speaking to you through them or that entity or that power speaking to you through them by being like, Hey, you might need to back off. Like, you're getting a message right now. Mm. And, and I've gotten that too. Like I've totally gotten that too from other people, which, um, you know, where they're like, Hey, like, um, and actually like to call my own self out to be like, cause I, again, I was just like, I'm indigenous. I'm pura indigena. Like I'm totally indigenous. And someone, you know, and actually my mom and, um, another, like, and like some other, my friends were like, actually, like, you know, like, we didn't, if we, if you didn't grow up in that, like, yes, you are indigenous. Yes, you are a part of this, but like, you don't have that specific, like you grew up like specific. And there's such a specific difference between growing up on a reservation or growing up, um, literally like speaking the Watsal and because you're already so oppressed like there. And like, for me, it's like, where did you grow uh, up, Rebecca? I didn't even oh, ask. Oh, I grew up in Los Angeles. <laughs> there you go. And you're living in Portland now. And I'm living in Portland now. Yes. Got so, it. And I spent a lot of time in like the canyons and around petroglyphs and like, you know, on ancestral lands and it was beautiful and like, you know, red rock Canyon country. And it's like, that's, that's where we're from. And so I was definitely always connected to that, but it was also kind of like that reality check of being like, Hey, you don't know everything. And just because this is a part of who you are, doesn't mean that like it takes, it takes a lot to be able to claim this title and like our experiences vary. And I am more privileged than some people who are, who are also indigenous. Like, and that's just true. It's like, it, it just is what it is. And like having to have that check was like, okay, like, all right, but it, that's good. But it's, I think it's good to get those checks. And I feel like it, it definitely, it all kind of fits into being like appropriation, which is why I say like, I always want to stay in my lane. That's very important to me because this is such sacred stuff and life is such sacred stuff. Like we should all be really respectful of each other and also loving, we should be loving and sharing, but also being like respecting boundaries like crazy. You know, it's interesting because it kind of makes me think of like positioning yourself as like a perennial student as opposed to the teacher. And that's, yeah, this, this is probably a conversation for like an entirely another podcast. But um, <laughs> I, I think that for me as a white person, and I make mistakes all the time, and I'm still learning. And yet, you know, I also feel that so much of spirituality is about tapping into like the world story and the collective unconscious and getting beyond cultural difference. And I know that's a very white oh, yeah. privilege thing to say. And yet I also think that maybe the answer lies somewhere in the middle of all this. I don't know. Tell me if I'm totally off base, Rebecca. I mean, it might. I agree to disagree only just because like, and again, I don't want to speak for all because I'm just me. 
for me, I feel like it took me so long to get to this point. And again, like I, I've seen indigenous people, like non-white, uh, Latinx, Chicanx people, Afro-Latino, Chicanx people, like we are still going through so much and trying to unravel so much pain and like so much trauma just on a racial level, not even touching like LGBT rights and misogyny and everything else. It's just, just navigating that. And I feel like for me, my spirituality is like, this is such, this is so private. It's like, I don't want to say private, but it's like, it's so personal and it's so part of who I am that it just kind of feels like, um, cause I feel like so often like white folks have like swept in and been like, well, this is ours now. And like, well, I like it. Therefore it belongs to me. And like, I feel like that can come off that way. Not to say that you're coming off that way too, because like, you know, again, too, it's like, I don't know your background. And also too, like, maybe you have friends who like are part of that culture. And like, they were like, Hey, like you might vibe with this. And then you did. And then you're like, Oh my God, like I need, you know, I need to pray to this or I need to spend time with this, which I totally understand. Um, but I think for me, it was, it, I, I'm still in a very protective space about it. That's where I get what you're talking about. And that's where you're coming from, where people can look at maybe my paintings or my zines or my comics and look at that and be like, I don't have to be indigenous to, I don't have to be indigenous to Mexico or America. I don't have to be Chicanx. I don't have to be that to understand like what she's saying or to see that this is magic or to see that she's like trying to like create a shrine in a painting, mm-hmm. like, and to connect with it, which is like why I totally agree with like, you know, your take on that, where it's like, we're connecting, we're, we're tapping into something bigger because we're seeing each, we're, we're, you're seeing someone tell their story, but you're also seeing something that you love in yourself reflected back to you. So, and something that you love about the world reflected back to you. So I totally understand what you mean by I that. I suppose it's about just making sure that one's and this is not to put a pretty bow on this, like we've solved it all in this conversation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I hope I'm not coming across that way. But what you're saying makes me think of like, yes, it's wonderful to honor the universality, but not at the expense of the specificity and the context. Yeah. And, um, you know, you can't subsume the specificity and all of the culture and all of the history and in many cases all of the pain that comes with um, these stories and these practices. Yeah. And also because it's such like it's such like a spiritual thing to like actually actively be like, all right, I'm going back to the beginning. I'm going to like give up like, you know, Catholicism or I'm going to give up. I'm going to like actually kind of like shake off a little bit of what's expected of me in this current society and kind of follow this path that feels right and kind of feels like a path that's been walked before by people hundreds of years before me who are part of my lifeblood and I feel like that's where I take it and I think that's why you know people it's 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 a very sensitive subject and cuz again people ever people are still healing and people are he- I mean everyone's healing but yeah um yeah. it's a very specific kind of but I yeah it's, it's one of those things where it's like I don't want to discourage people from seeing something beautiful and to tapping into something beautiful and also like appreciating and like, um, cause you know, I see, I see white women who have like spell candles and I actually, especially like Virgin Mary candles, like Virgin de Guadalupe candles. I'm like, I don't really, for me personally, I don't really have a problem with that. I mean, again, too, like I'm not a monolith. Someone might be like, Whoa, I really feel a way about that. But <laughs> for me, it's just kind of like, Oh, like that's, you know, it's like, if that helps, you know, maybe someone just might be like, that's just a cute candle. And that's my takeaway, which is like, okay, well, I guess, but, um, for me, it's like, okay, well, if you're really getting something out of it and it's bringing you peace, um, and you really need, might need that peace then like, okay, like do that. And, but that's why I think it's like important, like what you're doing to like ask questions and kind of be like, this is how I connect with it. And to like, I would say the most important thing is to check in with the people who's like, 
culture or like um, spirits that you might be praying to or having on your altar, I would also maybe pray on it. But also I would probably ask people specifically from that group to be like, hey, what do you feel about this? Is this like, okay, because I think that that's also part of a spiritual journey to ask people who are not like you or who have totally different experiences than you like, what do you think? Do you feel that way even in private practice, though? Like if there's some person of whatever background, but not Mexican, say any background, yeah, who connects to a deity, has it on her altar, and that's her personal connection with that deity. I mean, I know it's like if a tree falls in a forest or like if a white lady <laughs> prays to a non-white goddess, like does it make a sound? I mean, I would just say like, obviously it's like, I can't tell anyone what to do. And like, if something brings you peace, like that brings you peace. Like I can't speak on that because that's like, you know, that's like something that's coming from you. And also like, you know, coming to you. And it's like, that's so important. I definitely wouldn't want to take that away or not like I could take it away, but to like, uh, discourage that from someone. But I definitely think that keep it there because it's been there long enough. And like, and if that's what you connect to, but I would also ask, Keep it if you want to, but definitely check in with the people who to just get another perspective, because mm-hmm. I think that that's important because mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to pray to uh, a spirit or a deity to, that I wasn't that wasn't part of my culture um, if I hadn't like checked in with, I guess, like that also that line of spirituality and also that like the people who are like, um, I don't know if I'm explaining well, but if I hadn't, I would want to check in with the person or with the person who had like a direct connection and was like raised knowing about that or like that that was a part of their culture that they were more familiar with than I was. I'd be like, Hey, what do you feel about this? Like, I think a good example is like Yoruba religions, like where, uh, also like, you know, Latinx diaspora, uh, a lot of the time and like Puerto Rican, I believe. And, but you know, you pray to Oshun, like the goddess Oshun, who like Beyonce references in the hold up video, which yeah, I love. Me too. And I'm just like, I get why people pray to her. She's amazing <laughs> yeah like I get it I totally get it but like I also am like I'm I mean but I don't like I respect her and like but I, I don't have ocean candle because I haven't yet checked in with someone who is of that thing where I'm like hey how would you feel about this like I connect to this like but let's talk about it like bruja to bruja let's talk about this because how do you feel like I don't want to take up space that way or me is there like um yeah and that's kind of like where I approach it when I discuss like different intersectionalities or someone who might have a different diaspora than me or, um, navigate, uh, racism or in a different way than I do. So, or yeah, does, does that make sense? Kind of? Absolutely. No, I, and I really appreciate you sharing your perspective on that for sure. I think you're going to give a lot of people yeah. a lot to think about and consider. Yeah, communication and- is key. Cause it's like, you can totally disagree with someone or like, Um, I mean, obviously, as long as they're not like it's not getting violent or they're not like disrespecting you or like denying your experiences, as long as that's not happening, it's like and you can have an open conversation like, hey, I connect with this deity. Like, what do you think? Like, I really want to hear you because we're both in it here together and I don't want to be disrespectful or take up space or also take up this deity's time if she'd rather be talking to someone like you. You know what I mean? So. Mm, mm. So I think that's like and again, that's my perspective, too. And that's also kind of like. um the couple of curanderas I talked to also like some are very open and some are kind of more like really strict, like, Hey, like you stay, you can you just stay in your lane. And if you have questions, you, we, we confer with each other and we can confer with other people, but like, let's keep it, um, to what we know. But, and I, I can see how some people might be like, Oh, that's limiting or, Oh, this, but I'm like, but there's such a wealth of information and beauty in our, in our own roots. And everyone has such 
beauty in their own roots at the root of who we are. Like all of us have in, come from incredible people. Like, and I think that, yeah, it's worth to connect with that too, to like, and not to say that people who like also worship other things or have other things in their altar do too, because also, you know, like I don't identify as Catholic anymore, but I have a nacimiento on my altar. <laughs> so, which is like, you know, like, yeah, it's like I have, yeah, it's like I have like little crosses and like burned Virgin Mary candles. And I don't really, you know, I don't go to church anymore or do that, but, um, but it comforts me. So I understand, I mean, and again, too, it's different because, uh, you know, that Catholicism is kind of forced on us. So, you know, it's a different kind of take, but it's still kind of like, oh, this brings me comfort or this brings, and I get that, but yeah, I definitely think it's important, especially if you're coming from a position of privilege, um, like as a white person, or maybe as uh, someone who's like, yeah, like, or who's just maybe not part of that culture to just be like, Hey, what do you, how do you feel? Mm-hmm. I just want to check in because I think that deepens our spirituality and I think it deepens our bonds of trust with each other. And I think it enables us to live in a world that is more open and like more connected spiritually and like through this magic, if that makes sense. Definitely. Definitely. Right now, witchcraft is uh, modern witchcraft is such a system of syncretization and certainly you know you have a lot of it that's coming from wicca right which it in itself is such a mashup of a lot of different systems everything Mm. from like you know the hermetic order of the golden dawn and um you know and and kabbalah and um, egyptian magic i mean such a mashup and such a bleed over between these different systems and these different cultures and p.s like i'm an american i am not a british person like and i don't consider myself wiccan for a whole bunch of other reasons but so, so i so i feel like the the through line of witchcraft or this um catch all word we have of witchcraft that we're using very fluidly and elastically these days yeah um, definitely <laughs> like they're like to my mind i would just say they're has to be room for us to cross pollinate and yeah learn from different cultures and um learn from different practices i personally have issue with the fact that like oh i was raised jewish and so i'm only supposed to you know, pray in a certain way or think God is a certain iteration of the divine spirit or, you know, that the one I was taught or the one my ancestors were oh, yeah, taught. That, when- that can feel, that can totally feel limiting too, like depending on who you are. Like, and like for me, it felt limiting, like to be raised in my, like the religion I was raised in was like, this feels limiting. So I get totally where you're coming from with that. Yeah. So yeah. All right. Well, this is certainly a conversation we're not going to um, conclude perfectly <laughs> in an hour, but I'm so grateful to you for allowing me to ask those questions because I no, so like, thank love you for your asking perspective. Absolutely. Um, and the last note I just want to kind of close on is, you know, especially here in America, but we could argue it's happening all over the world. This word resistance and more importantly, the action of resistance is really, yes. really important <laughs> if, you know, as we're trying to fight against um, patriarchal oppression amongst many, many, many other things. And, you know, that's a word that I've noticed you use in some of your work. You have a really beautiful illustrated spell that you've created called a spell to nourish and resist. So I, I was wondering yeah. if you could just leave us with a couple thoughts around how art and how self-care and how magic are all acts of resistance to you. 
Um, I guess I could start, I guess I'll start with me just being like, I think the way that I'm resisting right now, and I know we were talking about this earlier was, um, I guess it's through like, also like, I again, tongue in cheek, call myself a bruja who paints spells, but it's also like, and I do paint little spells, but it's also like, I, I also paint and like, I think it's important to resist by having representation of, um, people you're not used to seeing. And so, um, I know I was telling you this earlier, but then I was in a gallery show several years ago in LA and it was like a really fancy gallery show and I was very excited to be in it. And, um, my family was there and it was wonderful, but we were the only, uh, as far as we could tell, we were the only people of color in the gallery and you know, that happens We're you know, it, it does. Um, and it was like no big deal, but, um, another family walked in and they were brown just like us and they were Mexican just like us. And this little girl walked in and she walked right up to my painting and she pointed at it directly in the middle. And she said, that witch is me. Like she looks just like me. And that like, that really, that really set something off in me. And, um, even then, like it was like five or six years ago that that happened. And ever since then I was like, I, I need to keep doing this. Like I need to keep painting these girls because that look like me that look like this little girl because, uh, yeah, like we don't really see that a lot. And I know that like, you know, we're in an age of information where everyone hears that. Like, I feel like people feel like bombarded with being like, like this, that, you know, like we need to be more of this. And it's like, I'm so glad that that's coming out. But I think it's more like for me, it's, it's always been a steady stream of resistance from like since 1492, it's been a steady stream of resistance and love. And, um, yeah. And I think that that's, that's where I take it. And I think that that's, that's, I think that's how I resist where it's like, I am, Painting spells, like I'm doing, you know, I'm going against a bunch of norms, I guess, like I'm not even meaning to. It's like I'm a woman who's queer, who's painting, who's like identifies as a bruja, who <laughs> is chronically ill and uh, doesn't give any dams anymore. <laughs> so fuck right. And I think like so many people are getting to that point and it's beautiful. Like um, obviously, you know, this is a horror show, like right now, especially like everyone's feeling it. Even white Americans, people maybe haven't experienced colonization in the way that like we have or uh, colonization in the way that uh, black Americans have are starting to really feel like, oh my God, like this is something is sick. We need to purge something or like we need to resist. This is, this isn't right. This, and we need to do it. And it's really wonderful to see people making so much beautiful art and, uh, getting so spiritual. And I, I think that there's a reason why people are, uh, getting so into like, or I know people are calling it trendy now, but like people are getting like into crystals and self-care and those words being thrown around. And I know that there's a lot of room to make fun of it, but it's like, that's beautiful. And it is a form of resistance. It was silenced in us for so long to de- deny those parts of ourselves. Absolutely. Like, like we're not numb anymore. We're, we're waking up. We're here. Yeah. It seems to be that more people are striving to live a life of meaning and compassion and self-knowledge and knowledge about other people. And my hope is that it's also helping us realize that we are all connected and we have to take care of the most vulnerable and the most marginalized because we are them, <laughs> you know, because definitely, you know, uh, certainly we all have our own stories and our own backgrounds, but ultimately we're all part of the same family, you know, and have the yeah, same like, home. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's, like it may, it's gonna affect us first. It's gonna affect, you know, like it's gonna affect black people first, it's gonna affect indigenous people, trans people queer people, disabled people, intersex people, it's going to affect us first. But yeah, but you're right. It's like a ripple effect. It's like they're coming, they're coming for everyone who's like speaking out. And that's why it's like, we're fighting this, we're resisting and we're doing, we're saying no, like we're, 
we're too beautiful and we're too good for this. We're not, we're not doing this. You're not going to win. Absolutely. No. Well, Rebecca, I would love to make sure that everybody knows where they can find your beautiful, magical work. Um, I mentioned earlier you have an Etsy shop. And where are some other places online that they can find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram, just at Rebecca Artemisa. That's just very simple. <laughs> My Etsy is also Rebecca Artemisa. Um, no spaces or anything. Just, yeah, very straightforward. And Tumblr also, Rebecca Artemisa. So I'm an easy lady to find. <laughs> yes. And your Tumblr is so beautiful and it's such a source of joy and inspiration. Thank um, you so much. You post not only your artwork, but also like music you're listening to and beautiful artwork from other folks. And it, it's just a lovely, lovely space to spend time. Um, oh, and thank you. I again encourage everyone to check out Rebecca's Etsy because you sell all of the comics or zines uh, that we mentioned and so much more prints, original original paintings, painted jewelry, the fortune telling devices. And uh, it really is just a place that I love to spend a lot of time and I love to give oh, other people your work because it makes is, me so happy. <laughs> oh, it's just so inspiring and so badass and just has this spirit of joy, but also resistance that I, I think is so important right now. So thank you so much, Rebecca. I so appreciate you. Oh, I so appreciate you too. Thank you so much for having me on here. It was lovely. It was lovely having this conversation. Back at ya. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Rebecca Artemisa for joining me. I am so grateful for the magic, beauty, and sincerity she conjures into the world. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop me an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com and you might make it on the Witch Wire. This episode was edited by Chiquita Pascal. Thank you for the wise counsel, Chiquita. And myself. Our theme music is by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and give us lots of shiny stars. It really makes a huge, huge difference, and I'd be so appreciative. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you have an iPhone, you might dig my witch emoji for iMessage. Fill your texts with images of witches, spellcraft objects, and magical symbols in a variety of skin tones, genders, and colors by searching for Witch Emoji, all one word, in the App Store or by going to witchemoji.com. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave. Thank you.